Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. I'm really grateful for all of you that are listening to the podcast and sharing it with others. Sometimes I'll, since we don't do sponsorships on this podcast, I haven't really tracked downloads as much as some podcasters might that may need to give that information to advertisers. But I looked at downloads recently and it's over 6 million downloads that we've had since we started tracking um, episodes and downloads and about 2,000, 20,000 listen to every episode. And that's a credit to the guests on the podcast, especially, but also you listeners that listen and share it. And I'm honored to provide this platform for people to be able to share their stories. You can't donate to this podcast, as you know, but you can go leave a review at Apple and you can share it. Um, but it's time to introduce um, our guests for today's podcast. And they're joining us from just north of Dallas, Texas. Aaron and Julie Banowski, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. And We're let's, happy to be here. Let's talk about your last name, because whenever I have a name that I can't quite pronounce, I like my guests to spell it and say it. That's perfect. The last name is Banowski. That's B-U-J-N-O-W-S-K-I. The J is silent. It's Polish. My father is Polish. And uh, actually, my mother is Filipino. So I tell people that I'm a Polipino. So that kind of combines those. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Julia and Aaron have written a book we're going to talk about. It's Discovering Your Temple Insights is the name of the book. And they'll um, share with you about the book. Um, one of the things I've learned about the book is one of their friends described it as, Come Follow Me the temple. Um, she said the concepts in it were simple enough that she could teach her children from it, which helped them prepare for their temple experience. And so I love that visual imagery of come follow me for the temple. And it's not just a children's book, it's an adult book. It's for all Latter-day Saint um, members. Um, they will share about how the manuscript, the book was written for family, but they shared it with a few friends. And then that made it um, an impression to send it off to Cedar Fort, which decided we'd really love to publish this. So they're first-time authors, probably never thought they'd be authors, but here they have a book that's out. We'll link to it in the show notes, and I'm honored to have them on the podcast. They're um, married parents of two kids. They both grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Aaron's a member of the church. Julie at the time wasn't. She joined the church. They may talk about that. Aaron served in Chile Concepcion. And um, I will kind of, with that introduction, we'll learn more about your book together. And um, I hope that the podcast to be helpful for our listeners, we share, said a prayer, and also that the podcast will cause a desire to read the book and share it with others for the principles that can be gained into our lives. So thank you for joining us. And we shouldn't, it's worth noting that you have a new, we're going to talk about this, but this is a book about the temple, but at some point talk about um, the temple that's been announced in your very area. I think we'll get to that at some point. You can talk about that now or whenever you want to. Sure. No, we'd love to talk about that. Maybe let's start. Uh, Julie, want to introduce kind of a little bit of your background in history? Sure. Um, I, um, like you said, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. I joined the church my freshman year of college. Um, then I took the missionary discussions multiple times um, and I went to church with Aaron. I was the non-member girlfriend. Uh, that, you know, everybody was a, a bit afraid of. <laughs> and uh, Aaron's uh, young men's president said, if she is good enough to date, she's good enough to bring to church. And so he invited me to church and I came and I started attending um, Sunday meetings and some youth activities. And um, I went to seminary a few times, was quite early at you know, 30 in the morning. You went to seminary as a non-member at 530 in the morning. Right. And um, but, um, I remember when I first felt the spirit and that was at a youth conference. Um, it, was, it was just a ton of youth from all over, you know, that area and um, testimonies were born. They had great speakers. And I remember feeling the spirit and going to a youth leader and going, um, I want to be baptized. And, and the, the shock on their face, you know, was, uh, uh they, they were, uh, quite shocked. And, um, but, and so after that, I received the missionary discussions and, uh, my parents were a little, 
they didn't know what I was getting into and they didn't know a lot about the church. And so um, from one parent, there was someone, you know, you can, I can just see my parents asking their friends, what do you know? And one parent received a, a lot of uh, anti-Mormon literature. And then uh, uh, my uh, stepfather had a friend who was LDS. And he, and then the next time on the kitchen table, I see pamphlets about Jesus Christ and, and, and about the church. And so um, I joined the church my freshman year of college, and um, it, it has just blessed my life. And my family that are not members, it's blessed theirs too. And they are so loving and accepting and uh, and are just, you know, we're right there with them. In the Maybe talk about when you would go to the temple as you think you weren't a member. would attend the temple um, as a youth. I you know, I would stay in the visitor center or walk the temple grounds while they were doing baptisms. And I just uh, remember that being so peaceful and really recognizing that that was a place where the Lord resides, that that was his house, right? And so um, it, it, I think from that, from that point on, the temple has always meant so much to me. And being a new, being a convert to the church, I've had great opportunities to gather family names and take them to the temple and do temple work. And the most um, magnificent, miraculous things have happened in my life through that. Uh, spiritual moments that can never be taken away from me, right? Those moments where the veil becomes so thin and I am so grateful to um, to have those experiences in my life. So the temple holds a very special place in my heart. And, and um, you know, my family has an interesting history as well. I grew up in the church, but both of my parents were converts. Uh, my father actually was raised Catholic. He was going to go into the ministry. He was going to be a priest. Now he um, drew a very low number uh, draft number, and so he got well enlist before I'm drafted. So he enlisted in the Air Force. And while he was stationed in California, he met these two very interesting men who were talking to him about, you know, would you like to have the priesthood and still have a family? And he said, well, tell me how that works. And of course, they were members of our church. And and um, the story he tells is he was taking the missionary discussions and he went to a local community college where there were some religious books. And one book caught his eye. And it was A Marvelous Work and a Wonder uh, by Elder LeGrand Richards. And he read that book and it just kind of said, this is it. This is what I've been looking for all these years, you know. Now, fast forward a few years. Uh, you know, he was ordained to 70 back when the 70s, you know, were in the States in those days. And it turns out that the man who ordained him was Elder LeGrand Richards. And he always thought that that was kind of the Lord's way of closing the circle on his life. Well, simultaneously, my mom, who was a, a Filipino, she uh, born and raised in the Philippines, had a cousin who's one of the early, early members of the church in the 60s. You know, President Hinckley opened up the church in the Philippines in the early 60s. And she was introduced for her and her sister to the missionary. And they joined the church. And so while he was stationed there, he went to a young single adult activity uh, off base and met her and kind of the rest is history. Um, and, and so, you know, as I listened to their story, now they had to get married, you know, in the Philippines and they later were sealed in the Salt Lake Temple. Uh, and then we adopted my sister uh, when she was only 18 months old. She's Korean. And I still recall when I was a six-year-old kid, we went to seal her to us in the Washington, D.C. Temple. And you don't remember much from when you were six. I remember the feeling I felt in everybody in white. I remember going up the elevator and I remember the feeling of watching, you know, that ordinance happen. And so like Julie, I've had my own personal um, kind of connection to the temple that throughout my life has made it just so important. And then we got married. It just became kind of a center of what we try to do with our family. We love hearing more about your story. It's a beautiful story. Um, just a comment about LaGrand Richards. Um, we're recording this, listeners, on a Sunday, and um, and last night's uh, it's state conference in our stake, and last night's adult session, Bishop Waddell, first um, counselor and the presiding bishopric, talked about missionaries knocking on his parents' door, and his mother was reading, as a non-member, marvelous work and a wonder when the sister missionaries knocked on their door in California, and um, Legrand Richards is my great grand great great grandfather. And he was alive until I was in my 20s and um, honored to be connected with him through um, genealogy. But one of my favorite stories to tell about my great-grandfather, LeGrand Richards, is um, visiting him in his mid-90s um, in the hospital. And we had learned that he had had his 
leg amputated from the knee down. And we thought he'd be pretty depressed about the whole thing. We walked, and those of you that know LeGrand Richards know how positive he was. Um, we walked in the, ho- in the hospital room, and he says, better dying from the bottom up than the top down. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite stories to share. So I love that that, that's interesting that that book, Marvel's Work in a Wonder, maybe of except scripture has done more to convert people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know if that's true, but it's certainly a book that's really helped not only members, but non-members understand um, the beautiful gifts of the restoration. So I'm so glad you're on both on the podcast and thanks for sharing some of your story. Um, Keep sharing. Sure. Sure. Maybe we'll talk a little bit of how the book came about. We'd love that. So, during, during the um, pandemic, of course, all of us were stuck in the house. We never in a million years thought that that would happen to us. I had recently been released as a bishop. And uh, of course, we had a lot of time in our hand. And we found that we were really missing going to the temple because regular temple worship was something that was part of our lives. And as we just sat and started talking about what we had learned there, we started kind of just taking notes to ourselves of, of concepts that we had learned. You know, uh, Julie has served in leadership positions I have, and we realized that not everybody I always enjoyed their time going to the temple or, or, or saw it the same way we did. So that outline uh, became more extensive as we had more time on our hands. And, and we would do that on Sundays after our come follow me. It kind of became our come follow me. That, that outline became you know, a longer outline and that became a manuscript. And we started organizing it, really thinking that we would just share this with our family. Right. It was just a, it was something to leave for our family because it was it is a lifelong of learning for, that we had. And so we were like, okay, this will bless our family and they'll have something from us of how we feel about the Savior, how we feel about our heavenly parents and how we feel about temple worship. So it was really about uh, sharing that with them. But as it grew, we kind of uh, would share it with friends also. And people were like, what do you think about this? And we, we shared it with our family. We shared it with our friends. And then someone suggested, because it was pretty there was a lot of doctrine and things in it. And someone said, I think you need more stories because I really enjoyed reading the stories that you have in there too. So we were like, okay, we can do that. We have, you know, stories from our lives. We've had amazing families that we've witnessed go through different things, trials and things within their life and how we've learned from them. And so when we added those stories and it made it so personable and relatable, so as you read it and you read about um, the principles that we that you can take from the temple and from your temple worship, there's a life story that goes along with it that you can kind of, it's it's more relatable to the reader. So and we think that's how the temple works as you go there and you figure out how what you're seeing and learning can apply in your lives. And so you know I'm, I'm a bit of a reader, so I try to look at the, a lot of the temple books that are out there, and there's so many wonderful resources for people. But what I realized is most of them are about the temple. Um, and we thought, well, our book is different. Ours is how to learn from the temple. And, it, and as we as we have gotten feedback from people, they'll always use the same word. They say, your book is very unique. And I'll say, oh, what does that mean? They say, well, when I read it, I feel like I'm learning from it. Like I'm, I can take something where I can go to the temple and learn from it versus just learning quote, about the temple. And so that has actually uh, really touched us because that was the intent. We wanted people to use it as a resource, as a workbook, you know. Um, and so we, you know, uh, we, you know, in the back of each chapter, we have some questions that, you know, uh, we prompt people that they can ask themselves, and maybe there's some places they can record their thoughts. And we really hope that people see this uh, our book as just a resource that might help them really take the learnings from the temple. Right. So you can. The principles that are taught in in the temple and the covenants that we make, it gives you an opportunity to be able to go there and learn and, you know, go prepared and learn and then come back and you can make some notes about what you learned. You know, I think every time we go to the temple um, at the end of an endowment session, we'll sit in the celestial room and and we ask each other, what stood out to you today? And, And that gives us a moment where we can you know, um, have a conversation about what stood out the most or how is this helping, or, you know, we go in with a question or we're having um, a struggles of some time that we need peace and answers for, right? We go there um, to, to receive those things. And so 
um, the book is intended the, like a workbook. So you can go log your information, how you feel, and, and go back, right? And go to the next principle and go. But, the, but what is great about the temple, and as you are a temple worshiper throughout your life, those things are always changing, right? Your circumstances, your spiritual growth, those um, things that are happening within your life, those are in a, they're, you're constantly learning and moving. And so the book is really something that you can go back with a principle and rewrite how you're feeling at that time. So it's something to be continually used because, you know, in life, we're constantly learning and growing and different things are happening within our life that we can use the book as a tool. But there's so many resources that are written by very, very knowledgeable people, um, scholars, um, you know, folks at general authorities who obviously are very knowledgeable. We're neither of those things. And uh, in fact, when I was sending the, the, the book into the publisher, Julie says, well, you're just a dude. And I said, well, okay, I am just a dude. Um, and, and we thought, you know, that actually is the beauty of the temple that anyone can go on of any experience level uh, and they can learn and take something from the temple. And we hope that people can feel that and know that the Banowskis are just normal people like them, that they have some insights um, and that they can, the reader can also go in and get personal insights throughout the course of, of their lives. Yeah, I, I love what you're sharing with us and I'm getting more of a vision that it's unique. I, uh, yeah, there's a lot of temple books on our um, table in our family room. And I would guess a lot of those are sort of first preparation to go to the temple the first time. Not sure if that's true. Um, I know that says in my church service, I would give books to people that were preparing for the temple. But it sounds like your book is you're sharing with us is different than that. It's yes, it will help people prepare for the temple, but it's sort of this ongoing way to journal or dialogue or receive insights about your temple experience. And I've always thought that when we write things down about our experiences, it helps us to be more prepared for future temple visits and maybe even receive more insights and inspiration because we're sort of um, more perhaps present with our experiences and it may open the pathways to continued experiences. So yeah, this is really cool. So keep sharing. So, you know, one thing, you know, I, I thought that might be able to be able to think about is that, um, you know, overall the, 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 the temple centers on Jesus Christ, everything in it. In fact, if there's something that a person goes there and says, I'm not sure exactly what I was supposed to learn there. The first thing that person can do is say, how does that teach me about the Savior and his atonement? Um, if you start there, then a lot of other things will open up. And I thought, well, it might be helpful if we talk about what is an insight. We, we call it discovering your temple insights. Right? Well, an insight is a revelatory understanding that enhances your ability to comprehend or apply gospel truth. Um, now, they're not new doctrine or new principles. You know, None of us are the prophet or the apostles. Those are the only person who can do that. But it will be a new or refined understanding of established doctrine and how that might apply in our lives. Um, and so you, you might go there with a question that you're trying to answer. Other times you'll go there and get an answer, and the Lord was, you need to figure out the question I'm trying to answer, because sometimes we have the wrong question, and we're, we're trying to figure those out. Um, and in all these things, uh, you know, again, the book is meant to be a, a help to you, and, and it's never a substitute for your own personal relationship with your Savior, your own personal revelation to the Spirit, um, your own experiences and work that each individual individual would have to uh, put in. Uh, and we just hope that it's a little bit of a, just a guide and just a, uh, a help and a catalyst maybe for people. Um, and so when, when we, we don't, the way we designed the book is that, um, um, you know, Julie mentioned that we share scriptures, we share quotes from general authorities, um, we share our own experiences. Uh, we hope people write down their, their own experiences as well. Um, and so the book is kind of in, in kind of two major parts. You know, one part is is uh, kind of the, the patterns and the purposes of the temple, which, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of books that are out there kind of help you with. There's actually very deep resources on that piece. And um, the second part is really a lot of the doctrines and principles of, of the temple um, so that you can go through and figure out, okay, what did I learn from it? And that's where that sister who said, it's come follow me for the temple. She's like, wow, I never thought about, you know, thinking about creation. And we tell the creation story all the time. But she said, perhaps I never talked to my kids about the old, this is something you'll learn in the temple. Or even when we talked about the plan of salvation, um, we teach that to our children all the time, but perhaps never mentioned, you'll learn about more about this when you go to the temple. Even that simple phrase, you'll learn about more about the plan of salvation when you go to the temple. It can tee up for our families and our children 
along the way of their lives that I will learn these concepts when I go there. So that when they go there, they'll recognize them. They won't feel so new to them. Keep sharing. This is great. Yeah. Well, what the, I think it's something you mentioned, Richard, but it was interesting. You mentioned um, kind of this idea of once you receive revelation, you can receive more. You can receive an insight, right? You can receive more. We borrowed um, a little framework that we put in the book um, uh, from something Elder Scott said. I think there was a talk he gave where he said that he had received a prompting and he wrote it down. And then he said, Heavenly Father, do you have more for me? And then he received another prompting. He wrote that down. He said, do you have anything more? And he wrote some more things down, right? Well, we think if people are wanting to get answers and, and insights and the guidance of the temple, first they should, you know, ask themselves, you know, what is it that I might want to learn about? So, for example, you might say, I'm facing an issue, and so I need to learn more about agency. So maybe the concept of agency and the principle of agency is something that I need to learn more about. And so then you go and you study, you put in some work, you read all the scriptures you can about agency, you read talks about it, and then you bring that information to you in the temple and you worship in the temple and you ask yourself, what about my temple experience today? whether it's in the baptistry, in the senior room, or in the endowment session, could I see the concept of agency? And I would suggest that the spirit will touch your mind because you've brought you know, ingredients to the temple and things will open up to you. And then you can go home and re- write down what you learned about that particular principle and ask, well, Heavenly Father, do you have more for me? And then he may give you some more promptings. And if you do that in kind of a repeated fashion, I think the Savior through the Spirit will guide you on your path. And who might even open up uh, other principles that you didn't think about. And that process, as you repeat it, is a way to get spiritual guidance for the temple. And I describe it a little bit like baking, right? So if you bring ingredients to making a set of cookies or a set of brownies, the better the ingredients, the better the brownies, right? Uh, the temple is the same way. Some people go there thinking, well, I'm just going to wait for Heavenly Father to give me some revelation. And of course, He would love to do that. But if you bring uh, your own offering there of time, of study, of, of consider, pondering, consideration, he has a lot more material to work with. He can give you um, uh, your your brownie, your cake, your revelation will be a lot more enhanced if you bring something to it. Love that. So, well, I thought maybe what we do is just share some stories uh, uh, from, the, from the temple. Um, yeah, I would love to. Um, I um, We were talking about the Houston Temple earlier. And one of my fondest um, experiences at that temple, um, I'd love to share with you all. Um, I was doing a, I was doing genealogy for um, my grandmother's mother's side of the family, and um, and and as I went about searching for this family line through multiple census records and death records and all the things you do in your genealogical research. Um, I kind of hit a dead end and I couldn't find any information. And I happened upon a site um, that was just a forum to post to this family, uh, the family's uh, surname. You could post like, hey, I'm looking for so-and-so these dates. Does anybody have any information? And I had this gentleman reach out to me and he's like, hey, I'm connected to that line. And, you know, I had been searching for this line for months and months and finally got that response. And he sent me like 10 pages of information that literally brought the, that family back um, as far as it could go. So way into, for that family, it was way into um, the seven, like into the late 1700s. So, um, so anyway, as we're doing work for the um this one particular um, set of parents, they had seven sons and we had a picture. He sent a picture of them and these seven sons. And they, um, they looked like just rascals. Um, <laughs> we've got, we've got guys with guns, you know, <laughs> showing off their guns. And remember, this is black and white. It's, this is sometime in the 1800s, like, you know, mid to late, 1800s. We've got a guy, you know, who's missing an arm. Like, did he lose it in a gunfight? Like, what do you know? What is, what is it? What is going on with these people? Well, what was so interesting? My grandmother remembered some of the people wow. in that picture, and um, the man lost his arm because uh, uh, a neighbor stole his horse, 
He went to confront him. Hey, you stole my horse. And the guy did shoot him and he lost his arm. So it was like, you know, this, this really interesting family story, right? So, uh, so we take these names to the temple and, um, we are gathered around the altar to seal the mother and father to these seven sons. Now at that time, they would do it one, a child at a time, right? Well, the seedler was like, would you like to do all of these together? And, and I was like, of course. So he went out and pulled people from wherever he could to wow. get us seven men to gather around that altar in the ceiling room. And the spirit was so incredibly strong in that moment. And, um, and we, anyway, it was just an incredibly powerful experience that day in the temple. Now, what is interesting to me is that after their temple work was done, guess what happens? Some other information on that family line happens to fall in my lap that I didn't have. So in my mind, I think they've received the gospel and they've gone about and they're wow. teaching it to others and they're ready for their stuff. So that's kind of how that, you know, that's not doctrine or anything, but that's how I envision it happening that he's going about or they're going about and teaching it to the, my other family members so that I can um, go and help them receive extra blessings on the other side of the veil. You know, and that's one of the great purposes of the temple is that connection, right? Mm-hmm. That ceiling, that connection to our family. You know, one story from doing some work from my, because my parents were converts, we did the work for my father's parents. Now, uh, in that, I think one of the purposes of the temple is not only that binding, but it's also that healing process. So my uh, grandfather and grandmother divorced when he was very young. My father was very young and my his father left the home. Um, and so, you know, you can imagine he was raised in the 50s with a single mother. It was very difficult. His grandparents helped out a lot. It was very difficult with my grandmother. And he said, you know, I had a lot of bad feelings about my dad and why he left. He really never knew his dad, um, never made contact with him until he was older. And his father had reached back out just shortly before he died of cancer. And so he really not ever got to know him. Well, Julie and I did the temple work for his parents. And and, uh, and we flew to Seattle. And my dad was a temple worker at the time. And he got permission to perform the ordinances for his father. And I was the, I was the patron. Wow. And he got to perform the ordinances for his father. And he said, you know, in that moment when I'm performing these ordinances for my dad, all those bad feelings that I had seemed to just evaporate. I just felt whole and I felt like everybody wished things would have been different, but the Savior just kind of healed that hole in my heart. And so, you know, one of the powerful purposes of the temple is that we can go there and be healed. Um, a very real spiritual healing can happen if we have things that aren't quite right or you know, things that are perhaps unfair in our life. Of course, the atonement and heal and will heal all unfairness. And he he felt that in a very powerful way through that experience. And it's one of the most precious memories that we have of going to the temple. Love that. Love those real stories. Keep sharing. Yeah. So um, one of the things I'd love to share is um, to talk to you about my grandmother. You know, I, I was raised um, um, as a United Methodist and my grandmother her family, she was a very religious woman. She was in the church choir. She was always involved in church and went to church every Sunday. And, um, and she all, you know, I remember her always blessing for food and saying her prayers and, and she would teach me in little ways about, uh, about our savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, for example, um, the dogwood tree, um, there are, the dogwood flower is shaped like a cross and on the ends there are little stains of pink depending on what color the flower is and she would share she would use that as an object lesson to talk to me about how the savior died for us and this represented his great sacrifice and um, another thing that she like teaching the resurrection um, she would use the example of a butterfly um, you know, he was in the cocoon and then he was raised into this glorious, beautiful uh, being. And so it was so wonderful. She was a, a great Southern woman. 
uh, I would say a great Southern Christian woman and who loved her family and, and taught us about the Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think one of the most important things in the temple, it's one of the chapters in our book, is really talking about the Savior and his characteristics. Uh, you know, one of the things that we are all trying to do in this life is become more like him. He showed us how to be loving, how to be kind. Of course, your ministry on this podcast is really to show people what that looks like. And, um, you know, we have had so many people in our lives that have been so kind to us and showed that, that character of Christ. Um, she mentioned um, when she was investing in the church, we had this wonderful um, a young men's president, um, Doug who really ministered to us and showed us kind of what love was like and, you know, it had to be super accepting of Julie, even though she wasn't a member, she was trying her best because uh, she wasn't allowed to be baptized. And he kind of always embraced and accepted her and, and tried to help her out, which meant the world to us. You know, I came from a family of pretty modest means and, you know, I had gotten uh, accepted to BYU and, and, and I had never even been out there. I, you know, we couldn't afford it you know, for us to go out there. So I got accepted and got a scholarship that I'd never even set foot on campus. Well, so I said, hey, my brother-in-law is a professor out there. Um, and my father's out there. He works. He's an administrator. He'll, he'll pick you up at the airport. Wow. So I went out there. And I'm um, at his father's place. And his brother-in-law comes over, Brad, and says, uh, well, are you ready to start BYU? And I said, I am. But I've never even been on campus. He said, what? You've never been on campus? So he takes me and says, I got to go to a meeting. If you'll come to the meeting with me, I'll drive you around campus. So he drives me around campus and um, shows me, you know, was a great tour guide. And we go to this meeting. We walk into one of those large concert halls on BYU campus. And there was like a thousand youth in this concert hall. Now, mind you, there's only three members of the church in our whole high school. Two thousand wow. people. So this is the most youth I'd ever seen in my life, right? We walk all the way to the front. It turns out that his brother-in-law was Brad Wilcox. I had wow. no idea. Yeah, I'm just a I'm just a guy from Tennessee, a kid from Tennessee. I didn't know who, who he was. I had your opening prayer. I had never given opening prayer for that many people in my life. <laughs> but he did not tell me who he was. He was very humble. He was even willing to be a, late to a meeting that he had to be at because he was ministering to us. And, and as we see the character of Christ, and as you watch the temple, you can learn the character of Christ through the ordinances, watching the temple workers. I'm a temple worker right now. You can watch how loving they are. And it's really showing us what Christ was like. And so we, we think that's an important thing to always take away from the temple is understanding how to become more like the Savior. Yeah, um, I'm gonna, I wanna share with you, um, when Aaron was bishop, I was asked to help out with girls camp. And we, we drove up to Oklahoma and we were gonna, one of the days we were gonna do river rafting. So um, the river had been kind of low. So you there weren't any dangerous spots where it was really deep. There's not a lot of rapids. You just kind of gently go down the river. Well, we ride in these rickety school buses uh, down to the river and they have all the rafts and the paddles lined up and the girls just beeline for them. So they, everybody, you know, they've got their group of friends. We're overseeing, making sure everybody's in a boat and, and everything. And as we get, and we're all out into the river and we have our paddles, we notice that a group of girls are in the raft, but they forgot to get their paddles. Uh-oh. <laughs> so... How are they going to navigate down the river? So, uh, Aaron, and I think it was your bishopric, yeah. the, we were all kind of together. So the girls didn't make it very far because they were right along with us. And so Aaron and some of the other men went over to help. They had, you know, they had a, a paddle, so they at least had one to navigate down the river. But that that is really kind of like us in life, isn't it? Yeah. That sometimes we can be in a raft without a paddle. And, um, and I think one of the most wonderful things the Lord has blessed us with, what our heavenly father has blessed us with are the temples. It's an additional, um, it's an additional tool for our spiritual growth, right? Um, it is, it is something that can help us navigate the waters of mortality and, um, be able to, um, help us along the obstacles that we have in our lives that we, that we just kind of maybe feel alone and, and we don't have a paddle to help. But um, I always love that story because uh, I don't know what, you know, just like, oh, how could you forget the paddle? Well, but they were so excited about being there. Maybe that was like us coming down to earth, right? It's like, we're so excited to be there, but. Well, we, you know, we learn about the commandments in the temple. And so those, those, those paddles are a little bit like commandments. They, they navigate us. and, and you know, of course, we covenant to, to obey the commandments in the temple. You know, there are five covenants that 
you can write, read right there in the church handbook that we make. And one of those is, is obedience and sacrifice. And, and those, those paddles are very similar to, you know, the commandments that were given. Um, you know, I had an experience, you know, with, with agency and, and keeping commandments. I had gone to a, uh, a, uh, a leadership, uh, um, it was like a leadership training. Um, and we went down to Huntsville, Texas, which is where the big maximum security prisons are. And we got to uh, walk through the prisons and we got to meet some of the prisoners and some of the folks who had, had been released from prison. And I remember in this debrief session with some, some former prisoners, someone asked them, you know, what's the difference between you and some of your, you know, you mentioned that some people end up back in prison. You know, they make choices that leave them back there. You know, he said, well, he said the biggest difference, it was very powerful to me. He said, those who spent all their time in prison wondering about what they lost end up back in prison. Those who just say, I'm going to move forward in my life, I'm going to choose to move forward and do things differently, they, like myself, will be reformed and go through it. So whether we're talking about commandments and you know, keeping on track like those pedals, or whether we're talking about agency and our choices, as we make choices that lead us forward, um, that, that can you know really help us. Now, another concept of the temple that I think would be great for Julia to share is you know, we all face challenges uh, in mortality. And, and and we learn about opposition and we learn about the fall, right? We learn about the things that happen because of the fall that affects all of us. And, and, and she had an experience that, that I think would be great. For yeah. So um, five years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Wow. And um, yeah, um, I was uh, 46. I, um, I have no family history of breast cancer. Um, so it was kind of shocking when it occurred. Um, and uh, you know, Aaron, Aaron was the bishop at the time, and this huge obstacle um, that I faced. And it really, when you're diagnosed with cancer, I don't think, for me anyway, it makes you think about mortality, makes it so real, because it's sometimes such an unknown, right? And, um, and during that time, I mean, within the, I was diagnosed on Monday by Friday, I had met with all the doctors that were going to be involved, um, which were a, a team of five people. And I had to make some quick decisions. Um, and that was what type of option, um, how aggressive we wanted to go. Um, and it was entirely up to me. And, um, I, it, it, it was, you hate to press Heavenly Father for like <laughs> this now, but it was really one of those moments where I need to hear you. And I had to really have peace and be able to hear the spirit and be able to listen. And so we went to the temple and prayed, we fasted, we did all the things. Well, I decided to go the more aggressive route. And um, I had a double mastectomy wow. and went through my treatments. And, um, and it was really a wonderful thing that I did that. Every image that they had taken from the time I was diagnosed up into the surgery, the, the, the cancer was larger and larger. Wow. And then when they got in, it was even larger than wow. the image. So... Heavenly Father, right? Heavenly Father inspired and moved us to what we needed to do and what to have happen. And, um, and he answered that prayer for us. And um, I've been, you know, five years out cancer-free. Um, I have five more years, uh, and then I get removed from my medication. Wow. But, but I am doing well, and, and I will... I will never forget that because during that time, I was never alone. I remember lying there for my radiation and just tears going down my face and, and knowing that my Savior was with me and that my Heavenly Father, He knew what was going on. And I had ministering angels all about me, caring and loving, for, loving me. And those were my friends my family, who all gathered to love and nurture me. And I know that happened here on the earth. And I know that happened on the other side of the veil as well, that I had my grandparents and family rooting and being there for me too. 
Well, and I think that, um, and as, as I got to be a you know, witness to that whole process, you realize that the Lord sends us uh, ministering angels in our life. And we see that powerfully, powerfully in the temple that he, he wants to send us answers and he wants to send us ministers. And Richard, you know, one of the um, most important things that you do on this podcast is, is minister to those in the LGBTQ community. And, you know, we had an experience with a sister in one of our wards. I was her bishop and she has a daughter um, who is gay. And it, it was at the time one of the policy changes um, that, it, you know, was kind of very upsetting to her. And, and she was just kind of torn up about it. She didn't know what to do about it. She, you know, um, was wondering, you know, how this would affect her, her daughter, her own family. And she'd gone home, you know, very much upset about it and, and trying to kind of avoid um, her husband because they had some different opinions about it. Well, um, she's in her kitchen um, and she hears a knock at the door and uh, it was me. And I was at the church. I remember distinctly, like, I got this impression, go see her. Go, she needs to talk to you. I had no clue what that was about. And, you know, I showed up at her house and we sat in, 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 in tears. She talked to me about what was happening. And as I just listened and accepted and didn't judge you know, what she was going through or what her daughter had gone through, um, I was able to encourage her that the reason I was there is because Heavenly Father knew her, knew her daughter. Um, and as I listened and, and I just encouraged her that whatever policy would come or change, and of course that policy was eventually changed, um, that she should just continue to love the Lord. She should continue to love her daughter and that she should continue to move forward. Uh, and so, you know, I learned that, you know, sometimes we have ministering angels that come to us. Other times we're impressed to be ministering angels to others. Uh, and we love your ministry to, to those of, of that community as they are trying to understand Heavenly Father's will for them. And I think it's important that that's one of the most powerful things we learned in the temple is how to do that with love and concern and, and without judgment for people as the Lord is with us, as he extends us his mercy and grace. So, I love both those last stories, your story about breast cancer. Thanks for being so open and brave about that and talking about a double mastectomy and the realities of that. That's real life stuff. And just having to make all those decisions and recognizing God's role in that. Aaron, I love um, you getting this impression to go visit the sister and you could have just said, well, I'll get my executive secretary to set up an appointment. And you're chuckling right now because you could have done that and you could have seen if she would come into your office on, but sometimes we get past the structure and you did what I think God wanted you to do is just go knock on her door. And that takes a bit of risk. You don't know how that's going to go over and it may not be a good time. And the safer thing may be invited her to your office on a Sunday. And I love the way both those stories are kind of thinking outside the dots and doing following inspiration. And I think even though that inspiration didn't come in the temple, I think your temple attendance allows you to have, I think one of our doctrine isn't all revelation comes while you're sitting in the temple, but I think being in the temple um, improves the pattern of receiving revelation that may not come in the celestial room. We kind of talk about I, stories are culturally, I was in the celestial room and my answer came and I love those stories and I want to hear those stories, but sometimes it doesn't come there. It may come driving down the road and um, your decision to have this double mastectomy and your decision to go knock on this sister door may have just happened in very normal moments where the inspiration came, but you're, the pattern of um, temple attendance helped make that pathway possible. Keep sharing. No, I think one of the things that maybe uh, we could talk about is you know, one of the biggest concepts in the temple is priesthood power. Um, and that priesthood power um, comes to both men and women uh, in the temple. And of course, uh, Elder Oaks has talked about that. President yeah. Nelson has talked about that more recently. Uh, of course, Elder Oaks talked about when, when sisters are set apart to callings, they, are, they receive power and whether or could it be other than priesthood power, uh, or else they wouldn't be able to do the ordinances in the temple. And so, um, you know, uh, we have kind of felt that power very uh, uh, powerfully. Maybe share the story when, when you were first called the state uh, relief society president and you're organizing the, the conference. Yeah. So um, I've been a state relief city president for a little over two years. So um, I was a bit of a deer in the headlights, as you would say, when yeah. I was first called. And um, I had to really rely on revelation, on I had to learn, I had to learn my responsibilities, I had to learn about all these committees that I'm on, 
lot of administrative things, right? And um, when it came time to organize women's conference, um, I really prayed about um, what is it that the sisters need to hear. And as I um, spoke with Relief Society presidents about the struggles and strengths in their ward and getting to know the wards and interviewing them and going to meet them, um, I it came to me that um, that the theme needed to be uh, finding peace in Christ. Well, as I present this to my new presidency. Um, uh, one of the sisters was with the previous presidency and she just smiles really big. And she says, that was the theme we were going to go with. Wow! And so, you know, it was, I felt so grateful that, um, that, that I had that opportunity to have that experience. So, and I would say, and that's an example of Christian power. She was, she received, uh, she was set apart by uh, someone with keys. Um, and when I served as bishop, you know, of course, I held keys, and, and I felt that power in my life. And as we compared notes, uh, I'm no longer serving as bishop, and she's now serving in, in a, a, a calling that has a greater scope. Um, we've seen that same priesthood power come through both of those callings in very specific and very powerful ways. You know, when I was a bishop, I had times when I would, it's like it's here with you, with the, the sister with her daughter, I had another experience where I was literally by my bedside and I felt this very strong prompting to text a sister. She had been going through some challenges and I texted her and she texted me back and says, well, I don't know if the Lord really knows me. And I said, he does. That's why he told me to text you. And the next day she sent me a text saying, I had, she, she, she I came to my wits and I told Heavenly Father, you have to send me some kind of answer that I won't mistake because I'm not getting your answer right now. And literally that's when you texted me and said, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about you and the Lord loves you kind of a thing. And that's two examples of, to your point, we can go and receive priesthood power and, and, and feel his spirit in the temple. And we go back out and minister. Sisters have that power. Brothers have that power. It may become a little differently to both, but we both have access to that priesthood power through the ordinances that we receive. And to the extent sisters and brothers learn how to harness that for themselves and even more importantly to minister to others, great blessings can come into all of our lives. It's one of the, I just had a training uh, with uh, Sister Dennis um, this weekend um, she's the uh, first counselor in our General Relief Society presidency. And one of the things that she wants to reach the sisters is to know if you have made covenants with God, you hold priesthood power. Love that. And you need to recognize that divinity and that you have power and peace and protection from that. And so when sisters go to the temple, they receive Melchizedek priesthood power. When sisters and brothers are baptized, they receive ironic priesthood power through that ordinance. Uh, and so both sisters and brothers can receive that. She mentioned if you are a single sister and you have made covenants with God, you have that power within you to direct yourself in your home. I love hearing these stories. Do you have more to share or tell us about the temple that's been announced in your part of you've you've had this life where you've had to drive a long way. You're, you've never lived in Utah. I guess you have at school, but you've been temple workers with long commutes to the temple. Share with our listeners the news in your part of Texas. Yeah, so um, we are ecstatic about having the temple in Prosper. We have the Dallas Temple, which is about a 30-minute drive here, depending on traffic. Uh, Dallas traffic can be a beast. It can take you over an hour some days, so it just depends. But to literally have a temple at our back door, we are we're so excited. So when it was announced at General Conference in um, October, when it was announced, we all kind of stopped and said, did we hear that correctly? And it was pros the Prosper Tem Texas Temple. So my next... Um, state council meeting, uh, we all gathered, you know, we're all gathered in the high councilman room and I, you know, and we're all talking about the temple and we asked the state presidency, we're like, you, did you know, this was a really, uh, a good secret. How did you, how did you stay so quiet? They had no idea. So what made it so wonderful is that everyone, um, in the state council meeting got to share their feelings that they had about the temple when they heard about it. So what are we doing in this area? Well, 
we're all going to be preparing. We're preparing ourselves spiritually. Uh, we've got to prepare ourselves physically. We've got to be, they're going to have to make, they're going to need workers to be able to make this temple function. We're going to be able to have to learn how to work long hours in the temple and, and be well versed in the temple ordinances, right? And so um, we are, we just can't wait. We, we are anticipating, we're waiting to hear or where it will even be. We don't even know where the land is going to be yet. So uh, we're eagerly awaiting and we are preparing. And, and I'll tell you, growing up outside of Utah, um, whenever temples are built, it really is a, an opportunity to share the gospel. We are so excited about the missionary opportunities we'll have to invite our friends and our neighbors to the open house. I can't wait to invite people we know and love and have been trying to share the gospel with so they can see the inside of, a, of one of our temples. And, and ultimately, we hope uh, that they see our testimonies of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'll come back to something we said at the very beginning of the podcast, which is that the temple should always lead us to Jesus Christ. He is the center of that temple. and He's the center of everything that we do in it. And I hope that as we share that with our friends and our neighbors who are not members, uh, that they will see and feel of our a deep and abiding testimony in the save, of the Savior and of his atonement when they walk through that sacred house, because you can't help but feel peace there. We hope they recognize it is his peace and it is his spirit that's there. Listeners, I'd love to share some thoughts, and then I'd love to come back to Julie and Aaron for some closing comments. Um, the name of this book is very intentional, Discovering Your Temple Insights. So it's not, it could have said, learn more about the temple and learn more about the history of the temple or um, Old Testament history or New Testament history, which is great. Um, and there may be some of that in the book, but I think it's um, a book about personal revelation and receiving personal revelation through temple attendance um, that's unique to you. Um, and these stories are helpful to do that. Um, and I love the journaling and the sort of the ongoing. It's not just kind of a one and done, like you get your own endowment and then you're done with your temple insights. I've always, when I was a, um, a YSA bishop, I always felt the YSAs, you know, sometimes like to fly a plane, you do all this training ahead of time, then you take the test and then you're certified. I've always felt the temple is just the opposite is the first time you go through is really what starts the learning. <laughs> um, and your whole book is about that. So to me, it's, it's a very different paradigm than passing a, you know, becoming a lawyer, a CPA, and you're kind of done with the, the training part of that. Now you're ready to fly, so to speak. So I love this idea of continuing learn and having this tool to help us continually learn. Three, share, three different experiences I'd like to share real quickly, listeners, because sometimes I'll go to the temple and, and we'll have something on my mind, and sometimes completely random thoughts come into my brain. And um, one of the most random things came into my brain. I used to go to the Jordan River Temple at the 6 a.m. session and then get to work at 8 o'clock, and now I work at home, so I don't, I don't have to go to the 6 a.m. session, but... I remember sitting in the wall, this is about 10 years ago, leaning and kind of being there. And then this thought came to my mind, you should organize a mission reunion. And our mission, our mission president, Ellis Ivory, was in his 30s. And this was 35 years afterwards. And we have never, he's alive. He's in his 70s. He's still alive even 10 years after the reunion. And, and I thought, well, let's do that. And it was early in the spring. And we, I felt impressed to do it in the fall. And um, I was on Facebook at the time and then spent a lot of time trying to find everybody. But I remember um, just acting on that impression and then saw why later. And I remember searching the internet for missionaries as I got a list. And Marlene Smith had posted on one of those internet bulletin boards. I found her posting. She says, can I, I want to find my missionaries. This is before Facebook. And she's in Australia. And we tracked her down by contacting every stake president in Australia. And I remember the day she joined our mission Facebook group and was reunited with all her sister companions. And I just knew that that impression that was completely not on my radar map came from God and was because I, and it came to me in the temple perhaps because I was willing to be just present in the temple. And um, many people then came into our Facebook group. We, our mission back then, there was no way to stay connected. So you can't set up a mission. Facebook group during your mission. So we'd all scattered. 
And it was just interesting. Um, I remember being in the Nauvoo Temple doing baptisms for the dead, and I do not pronounce last names very well, and doing a baptism and just this, with clarity, the name of that person being pronounced from my lips in a way that I would never have said it. And then I remember sometimes we hear of experiences where others have an experience and we don't have one. I'm remembering doing baptisms for the dead with my siblings, and one of my brothers had a dramatic spiritual experience with the person that we were doing the ordinance for, and I had nothing. (laughs) And I just share that, listeners, because I was just probably as worthy to have that experience, but I didn't have anything. And I don't think it's because God didn't love me or that I shouldn't have been there, or that my brother was more righteous. So give yourself grace, listeners. If others are having experience at the temple the same day, you're not feeling anything. (laughs) And don't look inward and say, God doesn't love me, or I'm not quite worthy to be here. Some of the things that we could do that aren't particularly helpful for us. So I love the temple. I love the temple to get answers to questions. And some of those questions are to come in the celestial room, but some may just come because we're in the temple. Most of my answers don't come in the celestial room, listeners. They come, and I'm a consistent temple goer. I'm a temple worker. They come on my morning walk after I read just a few scriptures and go out on a long sort of prayer slash meditation walk. And that's where God talks to me the most. But I think my temple attendance is, is really important to that revelation. I'm not saying that's the way it should work for you listeners, but you've got to figure out how best to connect with God. The temple is a big core anchor of that. And then other experiences will come into your life that aren't necessarily things that you're just like that text you, just like reaching out to that sister, Erin, and saying, I'm going to go knock on her door right now, following the example of Elder Scott. So uh, more thoughts you'd like to share. And one of the things I wanted to say, and I wish sometimes this podcast were um, video, is this couple works so well together. You, you model an equality in a marriage because you're not talking over each other. Aaron's the, the guy. He could be taking the lead and kind of, you're not. You're equal. And I think you role model that really well for our listeners. Um, and that's the doctrine of our temple is equality. and um, So I think that's really part of your ministry. And I love that you co-wrote this book together and are co-doing this podcast together. And your marriage is a beautiful example of just um, what a marriage should be. Things you'd like to share in closing. Um, I I guess I'd just like to share my testimony of the same That'd be great. And and how he is pivotal in everything that we do. Um, when we have a relationship with him and as we learn to gain his attributes and his character, um, and as we strive to be like him, uh, we can feel peace. We can feel comfort. Um, I think that's one of the most beautiful things about the temple. It is his house. Um, he can reside there. Um, it is a place of literal heaven and where heaven and earth meet. Um, and I'm grateful to um, be a member of this church where the restored gospel has opened um, the heavens that we are able to be bound together for eternity, that we're able to make covenants with our Heavenly Father to help us through mortality. And um, I'm grateful for all of those blessings that he has given to us. And maybe I'll, I'll say two things, just responding to what you, you mentioned. Um, so uh, one of the things we learn in the family proclamation, we learn through our temple covenants, is that the husband and wife should be equally yoked, right? they should be equal partners. Um, and so, you know, when I was serving as bishop, Julie did a lot of things around the house, right, to kind of help. She was gone all day yesterday at this training with Sister Dennis. And so my job was to do the laundry. So I did the laundry yesterday. So that was my job. That's how I contributed to her calling at the time. That, that was my role. And so we're equal partners in that. When I was serving and had more, then she did some things at home. When she's serving and has more responsibility, then it's my turn to do those things. And I hope that in, in doing this book together, I think was an example of how we kind of trade off. Now we're not perfect in, in, by any means, but we try. The second thing I'll say is I love what you shared, Richard, about the temple being 
uh, a major center point for our spirituality, but not the only place that we can feel the spirit and not the only place that God talks to us, but it's certainly an amplifier of that and a connector for us. I don't want people who either for one reason or another, either can't go because it maybe it's too distant or they can't go because at that point in their lives where they're not able to go to the temple to know that that temple can still be a place where they can feel a spirit. Julie, as a non-member, we shared, walked around the outside of the temple. Uh, as bishop, I had a time and I asked the people, asked our board to go and touch the temple, even just on the outside. Just being on the temple grounds can provide you with a place of spiritual peace, even if you can't go inside. And those who can go inside, we would encourage you to go more often to kind of feel that spirit. But it can be a center point for our lives. And so as we um, strive to go anytime we can in whatever way we can, there are no second-class citizens in the Father's kingdom. He wants all to be able to come to him. Uh, if we go to the temple and try to make the Christ the center, as Julie mentioned, whether it's outside or inside, that spirit will accompany us and we'll see great blessings as we humbly uh, try to, to find the Savior there. That's great. Um, we'll sign off, listeners, but um, in the show notes, we'll put a link to Discovering Your Temple Insights, and we encourage you to check out this book, share it with others. It's a great book. Looking forward to reading it. And um, Julie and Aaron Banowski, um, great having you on the podcast. Excited for your temple. And I would guess both of you are going to be very involved in all the, and what that entails in your area to have a temple, and that will be exciting. And Someday that temple will be dedicated and that will be a great day in the lives of a lot of people in your area of Texas. We love Texas. My wife is Texan. So we have a soft spot for um, Texas. So listeners, this is Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.